0: Well, good evening. Good evening, beloved. It is good to be before you this morning. I want to say thank you to Pastor Seth for the confidence to fill the teaching time on Sunday nights uh, over the next month. Um, I love being a pastor and look forward to filling that role soon, hopefully, uh, God allows in his timing. Uh, And the one thing I love most about being a pastor is teaching. And so these are always a special privilege for me. Whether here or filling in for other brothers around the area on Sundays. um, I take a great, uh, it's a great joy and a great privilege to be able to stand before you. Tonight we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 32. And we're going to start a series, since it is the first Sunday of the new year, uh, it's called Let's Try Something New. Let's Try Something New. And to go ahead and and to ease your concerns, I'm not going to tell you the new things you should do that are going to fix your life uh, right away. Uh, this, is not a, this is not a ten ways to have a better life uh, in the new year. Uh, all this will be grounded in scripture and things that you have heard before but are needed to be reminded of. Uh, as Paul reminds the churches in Ephesus and in the other places we'll be going over the next couple of weeks. And so I'm excited to be able to do it. Again, let's try something new. And tonight we'll be in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 32. With the first question in the five questions I'll be asking you in this series, are we living a new life in Jesus Christ? Are we living a new life in Jesus Christ? Again, this, this question sounds pretty easy to answer, uh, but hopefully tonight as we look through uh, verses 17 through 32, we will be challenged to truly examine, even as Christians, are we living a new life in Jesus Christ? Not, not just partially, not just, uh, not just some of it, but are we fully invested in this new life that God has given to us through Christ our Lord? And so I'm going to read the text before we begin, and you can follow along with me, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get into it. Verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 4 says this, and I apologize for the voice and the sniffling. Uh, I think a cold is starting, so please just forgive me for that and bear with me as we go through this. Verse 17, so this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. Being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Verse 20, But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Verse 25. Therefore, lay aside all falsehood. Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. as we look into God's word. Father God, gracious, heavenly Father, merciful Lord, creator and sustainer of all things, sovereign and providential God, we come before you tonight and give you our praise. We give you our praise because you are God. There is none but you. We give you our praise because of Christ Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, that you have sent him to earth He has died the death that we should have died. He has risen from the grave that we should have been put in. And by doing that, he has defeated death and sin so that we can be saved and be with you forever. We praise you for the Holy Spirit, the helper that Christ sends to us and has sent to us in our salvation. He resides in us and he gives us everything we need to understand your word, to know you more and to know how to live our lives for your glory that we may have victory over sin and magnify the name of Christ. We praise you for all these things and for so much more. We thank you for tonight, Lord God, that we have the privilege to come into this place and to gather as the body of Christ, as the church, to look into your word and hopefully by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, take the truths found in it and plant them deep into our hearts that, that we might be changed and transformed and made more like Christ. And so I pray first, Father, that you would forgive us for all of our sins, Cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. Let each of us right now examine our hearts and and really confess any sin, that there be nothing Satan can use to distract us from you tonight or to draw us away. Secondly, Father, I pray that our, our, our eyes would be open to see your word, our ears would be open to hear it, our minds would be open to understand it, and our hearts would be open and ready to receive it. That, Holy Spirit, you might plant it deep into our hearts, that we might be changed and transformed and made more like Jesus, that you might receive more glory in us. Father, I pray also for anyone in here tonight who doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that they would hear the gospel clearly taught tonight. They would realize their need for you, Lord Jesus, and that you would draw them to yourself, Lord God, and empower them to repent of their sins, confess Christ as Lord of their life, and believe that you, Lord God, have raised Christ from the dead and be saved tonight, that they might walk in the new life that you have for them. Father, I am your instrument. Use me for your glory. Father, let all the words that I say that you've given to me let them be used by your power to work in all of our hearts that once again we might be changed and transformed and made more like Christ. And in so doing that that you might receive more glory in the life that we live and that the name of Christ would be magnified in a greater way. And Father, we ask all these things in accordance with your will. Let your will be done tonight. We ask these things for your glory and for your good for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we do pray. Amen. So the question is, are we living a new life in Jesus Christ? Again, this is the first Sunday of the new year. And like most years, we've probably made resolutions or we've made a list of things we want to work on in the new year. If anybody's broken them already, it's okay. That happens. Uh, You can start afresh today, even today. Uh, But it's my hope as we look at tonight in Ephesians chapter 4 that we see a recurring pattern taking place in Scripture. Uh, When we look at the characters of the Bible, they begin one way, God begins to move in their life, and they end up in the end a completely different person. In fact, that's a story of salvation. Uh, We start out as unbelievers lost in our sin. God empowers us, God draws us to himself, he he saves us through Christ our Lord. The Holy Spirit comes to live in us and we are made new before him. And so when you, if you have trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you breathe your last breath or Christ returns to establish his kingdom, whichever comes first, you will be different spiritually and maybe even physically than you were when you were first born. And so that's what I want to talk about tonight. Are we living a new life in Jesus Christ? We we see this pattern throughout the Bible, and Paul is not writing this because he doesn't know what to write. He is addressing a concern he sees with the believers at Ephesus. They are proclaiming themselves as Christians, but sadly for some of them, they are not living the new life that they now have in Jesus Christ. And so as we answer this question, there's two things, there's two answers I want to give, give to this question, and then we'll look at the application at the end in verses 25 through 32. So the first answer is this, are we living a new life in Jesus Christ? The first thing we must do is we must put away the old self. We must put away the old self. Not just take it off, not just hang it in the closet, but we must put it away from us continually, daily, every moment that we live. Look at verse 17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as Gentiles also walk in the the futility of their mind. Again, Paul has a purpose in writing to the church at Ephesus here. He is addressing a concern that he has in their behavior that he has heard about. So so again, this is not just an encouragement. This is something he's trying to point directly at here. They are living as the unbelieving Gentiles. And in case you're wondering, that's not good for a church to have the the attitude or the the look of unbelieving Gentiles. And so Paul's concerned. So he's going to address this in these verses and then give application at the end. Of chapter 4, we'll see in a few moments. So, how are they living as the Gentiles? Well, we see it there in verse 17 in the futility of their mind. Paul is conveying here to them a message in which there are no loopholes, in which there's no debating, there's no refuting what he's saying, because all of this comes directly from God through Paul to the church at Ephesus. What is why is Paul expressing this concern? Because he wants the believers at Ephesus to pursue holiness, and in pursuing holiness, they will honor and glorify the Lord. They will magnify the name of Jesus Christ. The believers were trying to live according to their own own fleshly concerns. Paul also addresses the church at Colossae in Colossians 2.18. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, here it is, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. So this is not something that Paul does once. He has to repeat this concern for the church at Colossae. Again, they're allowing their fleshly minds to once again take control and to lead them down a path that is not honoring to the Lord. 1 Peter 1.18 says this, Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. Again, Paul is saying we are to leave that all behind. That is not how we are redeemed. That is not how we are to live. That is not how we are to walk. And so this is the concern that Paul is addressing. But he gets into greater detail as we move into verse 18. How are they in the futility of their mind? Well, let's look in verse 18. Being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. So here, Paul, it magnifies what's taking place and shows us what this old self-understanding and thinking looks like. The first thing he says, they are being darkened in understanding. They are being darkened in understanding. Now, you and I don't know everything. Uh, There are some things that I don't understand how they work, and that's okay. As long as they work, I'm okay with that. Uh, There are things that you understand that I don't. But one thing spiritually, we should all have an understanding of the gospel and of what Christ desires for our life. Because we have been saved through Christ, we have been given the Holy Spirit who gives us not only the desire to obey God, but the ability to understand God's word and apply it to our lives that we may bring him, what? More glory. So as Christians, we are to grow in our understanding. We are to be lightened in our understanding, not darkened by it. And that's what we see here. Just as the Gentiles who are not saved walk in darkness so some of those who were of the church at Ephesus were living in such a way where their understanding was being pulled away. Romans 121, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. So again, as Christians, we are to grow in our understanding, we are to grow in our wisdom. We are to not we are not to stay as babes in the faith, but we are to become mature men and women of the faith. Next he says they are excluded from the life of God. Excluded from the life of God. You and I were once in the same place as unbelievers. As unbelievers, those who do not know Christ as their Lord and Savior, right now they are excluded from the life of God because the only way that you and I can enjoy the life we have in God is through Christ Jesus our Lord. And through the Holy Spirit that now lives in us because of that faith and trust that we have in Christ as our Lord and as our Savior. And so sadly, that means if you're here tonight and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, right now you are excluded from the life of God. But it doesn't have to be that way. Don't, don't worry. Don't, don't drop your head. Don't, don't think the end is over. No, it doesn't have to be that way. Why? Because God, our Creator, who was there when Adam and Eve sinned, who was there when we sin, has provided the way of salvation through Christ if we will but, what, trust and believe by the power of God in Him as Lord and a savior. Ephesians 2.1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2.12, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's what it means to be an unbelieving Gentile. That's what it means to be, have, to be living in the futility of your mind, because your mind is flesh. Your mind is sinful. You are acting like an unbeliever. That's what Paul is saying. That is not a good testimony for the church to have. Next in verses, verse 18, he says, they are filled with ignorance. They are filled with ignorance. Again, this is something we've already talked about, being talked about in darkened in understanding that we are to be people who grow in our understanding of the word of God. Whether you've been saved for one year or you've been saved for 20 years, or you've been saved for 30 years or longer, your understanding of God's word should be greater than the first day that you were saved. And not just a little greater, but it should be greater. You should be growing every day in your faith with Christ. How do we do that? By the word of God. How do we do that? Through prayer, through the, through the living out of our faith, by the proclamation of the gospel. And this is what Paul is addressing here with them. They are not to be acting in this way. They are not to be ignorant in the truth of God's word. 1 Corinthians 2.8 says this, He, excuse me, wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Again, an example here given by Paul to the church at Corinth. That those rulers who crucified Christ, if they had truly understood who Christ was and who he is today, they would have never put him on that cross. They would have worshipped him as Messiah, as Lord. But yet what? They were ignorant in their understanding. Why? Because their hearts, their their, their, they were in the futility of their mind. They were darkened in their understanding. They were excluded from the life of God. And so they were filled with ignorance. First 1 Peter 1.14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. Don't go back to the old self. Put it away. Put it away. Put it away. And again, don't just leave it behind you. Don't just pack it in a drawer. Don't just hang it in a closet. Leave it. Run from it. Flee from it. That it may not have control over you Any longer. And finally, in verse 18, he says, having a heart that is hard. One of the greatest examples of this is Mark chapter 3, verse 5. As Jesus is is about to heal, and he's about to heal on the Sabbath day, the leaders are angry. Why? Because it's a Sabbath day. How dare you heal someone on the Sabbath day? And this is what he said after looking around in Mark chapter 3, verse 5 at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart. He said to the man, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. That in that moment of bringing healing, of bringing restoration, they were more concerned about the law than they were about the work of Christ. And again, we have to understand this is what is happening here in Ephesus. Their hearts, they're acting as though their hearts are hardened toward Christ. Maybe there's a little bit of legalism leaking into the church They're becoming too strict. They're they're holding people to standards that they were never meant to. And the heart no longer is filled with love and compassion for those around them for the lost. Rather, it's become closed off because their hearts are beginning to harden. Again, this is not who we are supposed to be as Christians. But Paul goes a, a little bit further in verse 19. And here we see how the old self is being lived out in the lives. So first he describes what it looks like. And then he tells us, how it's being lived out, and they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. The first way he describes them is they've become callous. They've become callous. What does this mean? I'm sure you know what a callous is. The the best illustration I have is is for those who play guitar, and hopefully if I believe this is right, so Pastor Eric, if you're in here, which I don't think you are, well, he's going he's gonna to give me a thumbs up and thumbs down if I'm not right. But I believe when you learn playing guitar, your fingers ache on the first, the, the, for a while until you get used to it when you're playing the strings. And over time, you can develop calluses, means your fingers get hard, they get worn. And so it no longer causes pain when you push down on that guitar and you play that chord. And so what had happened, they had calloused over, they had calloused over, they were no longer, or at least it seemed like they were no longer being influenced by God's word, rather they had become hardened in their heart, as he just said in verse 18, they were callous as how it was being lived out in their faith. 1 Timothy 4.2 gives a great picture of this, explains this fleshly and sinful understanding had, had in a way been seared like with a branding iron on their conscience. And if you ever see a brand, what happens after it heals, it, it, it calluses over, it, it, it scabs over. And so again, this is, this is something that was leaking into the church, was causing them to be callous toward themselves, toward each other, and toward those who were lost. But then he goes on to explore even further, having given themselves over to sensuality. Romans 1, 24 and 25 says this, Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the, creator rather than the, the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let us not say, well, man, Ephesus has it bad. This is not just at Ephesus. This is a book applicable to today. Are we putting off the old self? Are we acting in the futility of our mind by being this way? Are are we being this way to each other? Are we being this way to the lost? if we are, we're we're negatively impacting the witness of Christ in, in us. And notice how Paul ends verse 19. For the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. The word greediness here communicates an increasing desire for more and more sin. The point is that sinful passions and desires are never satisfied. In fact, you could translate it this way, or greedy for the practice of every kind of impurity. And so Paul wants to set the record straight for the church at Ephesus. This has to change. This has to change. You must put off the old self completely. The Bible continually reminds us that we cannot serve two masters. We cannot serve the way we used to be and serve the way Christ wants us and desires for us to be. We must make a choice between the two. And if if the Holy Spirit is truly in us, we are driven to choose Christ over self. So number one, we must put off the old self. Number two, we must put on the new self. We must put on the new self. And look how Paul starts in verse 20. But you did not learn Christ in this way. It's almost like a, like a parent taking a child's hand and slapping it and saying, that's not how you were taught. Paul knows the leaders that are there. Paul knows who helped start that church. Paul knows what has been taught from God's word. And he simply says, that is not what you have been taught. The thinking of the unbelieving Gentiles is not what they had been taught or what we have been taught through the life of Christ and through God's word. We must always go back to the word of God to verify the truth that we are taught. Whoever is teaching it, we must always look to God's word first to make sure that it is being done with clarity and with truth and in a way that honors the Lord Matthew 11:29 Take my yoke upon you and learn from me who is that me that me is Christ for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. That rest does not mean that life will be easy. He didn't say rest for your physical body. He said rest for your souls. And we can rejoice in that that our souls can be at peace even in this life. In the craziness of it, in, the, in how hectic it is for many of us, if not all of us, that we can find peace. That we can rest in the security of Christ and the truth of his word. Everything we have been taught from God's word and seen exemplified in Christ is the exact opposite of the world. We are to pursue holiness, not selfishness and self-indulgence. Why? Because when we pursue selfishness and self-indulgence, we rob God of his glory. And we tarnish the witness of Christ in our lives. So there's a slap on the hand. Then he expounds in verse 21. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. The believers in Ephesus had heard Jesus proclaimed and taught. Because in Christ, we find our truth, our understanding, and most importantly, our salvation. In essence, what Paul is saying, there is no excuse for you to be acting like this. It's almost as if Paul Paul would say, I would have a little bit of mercy on you if you had a false teacher teaching you this. I could have a little mercy on you if somehow you had been led astray without knowing it. But I know who's teaching you. I know who's leading you. I know what they're proclaiming. And this is not the truth that you are living. And again, we find our truth in Christ. And for for us today, we find our truth in God's word. Because Christ is the word made flesh. He He exemplifies every word of God's word in his life. And so if you want to know what truth is, turn to the word of God and live it. That is truth. Ephesians 1, 13, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of, of promise. Colossians 2, 6 and 7, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted, now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed, and overflowing with gratitude." When my kids were young, before they knew what was right and wrong, we had mercy. Just like you did as a parent, I'm sure. In, in Oklahoma, I, I walked out and I found my, my youngest daughter riding on my car with a rock. It took a minute there, didn't it? What did he say? Did he say riding on this car with a rock? Yes. What did I do? I, I, I laughed at first and then I stopped her because she didn't know any better. She just thought it was something to do. Let's just take a rock and ride on dad's car. It seems like a fun thing to do. Just like when you walk in the bedroom and you find your kids coloring on the wall. It never popped in your mind to tell your kids not to color on the wall, did it? Until now. And so again, here's what Paul's saying. If you hadn't known, I would have mercy. But you do know. You have no excuse. It's not like the Ephesians believers could say, oh, Paul, we didn't know this. We weren't taught this. Thank you for telling us this. He would say, you're liars. You have been taught this. But yet you're choosing the things of the world over the things of Christ. We must put on the new self completely. The mind, the heart, the soul, and the strength that comes in Christ. Verse 22, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. Paul goes on to remind them of what they must do. First, they must lay aside their old self because their old self is continually being corrupted by its own lust of deceit. Do not, do not play with your former self. Do not get an inch because if it has an inch, it will take a mile. It will tempt you. It will, it will throw, you, throw in your mind the lust of the flesh and they are pleasurable for a moment they are enjoyable for the moment, but in eternity they have no value. And they rob God of his glory, and they pull us away from Christ. And so Paul says, put it away. Don't let it have a moment. James 1:21, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Romans 6, 6, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that him being Christ, in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Every one of you is a slave in here tonight. You're either a slave to Christ or you're a slave to sin. As Christians, we are not to be slaves to sin. We are not to allow sin to master over us. You say, but what do I do? You have everything you need. You have the power of God living in you through the Holy Spirit to conquer over sin, to have victory over sin, and to walk in a way that is honoring to the Lord. There is no excuse for it. There is no excuse for it. And that's what Paul is proclaiming here to the church at Ephesus. In verse 23, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, the second thing they must do in putting on the new self is they must be renewed in the spirit of their mind. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewal of your mind. Why? That by testing, you may prove what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. When you put on the new self, you become proof of who God is. So not only do you have the word of God to prove who God is to others, but if you walk in the new life that God has given you, if you put on the new self... In Christ, through the Holy Spirit, that you yourself are walking evidence that Christ is who he says he is and that God is who he says he is. This means that as Christians, we have taken on a new mindset with new understanding and new wisdom that is grounded in Christ. And this work does not happen overnight. If you're wondering, well, then why is it happening to me? It is happening to you. Trust in it. It takes a while. It will continue until either Christ returns or you breathe your last here and close your eyes here and open your eyes with Christ. Then the process of being renewed will be done. But until that day, persevere. Get the power and strength the Holy Spirit gives you and persevere. Keep going through what you're struggling with. Keep going through the hard times and know that Christ will bring you out of it more like him if you stay faithful to him. If you stay obedient to him, if you give him all the glory and whatever you're going through, you can't help become more like Christ in the life that you are now living. So you must be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The third thing is in verse 24. And put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So put off the old self, be renewed in your mind, and put on the new self. Put on the new self self the new self is the person that a christian is after he or she is saved we put on the new self as we pursue the things of christ and we put away the things of the flesh righteousness and holiness mark our new life rather than sensuality impurity and greed we are no longer to be darkened in our understanding We are no longer excluded from the life of God through Christ. We are no longer to have hard hearts toward anyone. But I know what you're thinking. I'm not perfect, and you're right, you're not. And so what I'm saying is these things no longer are who we are because we are new in Christ. Will we still struggle with our understanding? Yes. Will we still struggle with having hard hearts toward people? Yes. But it's not who we are. It's, it's that we realize when I struggle with my understanding, I bring it to the Lord and I seek forgiveness if I need to. I ask for his help every day as I need to. I do not, if I'm struggling with a hard heart towards someone, then I seek forgiveness for that to make it soft again. I don't live in it. I don't let it control me. I don't let it rule over me. Romans 6, 4, Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism and the death so that as Christ was raised from the dead, the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away; the new has come. The new has come. So there it is. Are we living a new life in Christ? We must put away the old self, and we must put on the new self. And then as we conclude, seven points of application in verses 25 through 32. Seven quick points as we come to, our, come to the end here, the last few moments of our time together. Verse 25, therefore laying aside falsehood, speak truth each of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Number one, tell the truth. That seems pretty obvious, doesn't it? I'm sure from a kid you've been taught not to lie because no one likes a liar. No one wants to be around a liar, but there's more to it than just telling the truth and not lying. It's speaking the truth of God. Because that's the most important thing. We must proclaim the truth of Christ. The truth of God's word. Deception is the mask of false teachers and of the old old self. Instead, the Christian should speak truth. Because not only is it good for the individual Christian, but it is essential for the body of Christ to be unified in its effort to do the work of God's kingdom here on earth. We must speak the truth. We must let our yes be yes and our no be no. People must believe when we talk and and trust in what we're saying. And they can do that because we're speaking the word of God. We're giving wisdom based on the word of God, not our own understanding. Depart from that. When someone asks you for help, bring it from God's word. Tell them what God's word says. Now, we know that God's word does not speak to every decision that you will need to make or every specific question that you have and every specific direction you want to take. But it gives you everything you need to make the decision that will most honor and glorify the Lord. And so speak that wisdom, speak that truth to yourself, to your spouse, to your children, to your co-workers, to your friends, to your neighbors. Let it drip from your tongue. Psalm 101 verse 7 says this, He who practices deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who speaks falsehood shall not maintain his position before me. Revelation 21.8, But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Speak the truth. Do not change it. Do not make it easier to swallow. <laughs> Speak the truth. But listen, those around you who are lost, and even we as Christians are bombarded with enough false truth every day. We need someone to speak into us the truth of God's word. In fact, as Christians, we should be doing it every day ourselves as we spend time in God's word. But we should be definitely doing it as we speak the truth to others who are lost. So first application, tell the truth. Number two, do not let anger rule do not let anger rule. Verse 26 and 27. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not, do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. We all deal with anger. But it is not to rule over us. It is not to rule over us. We must avoid sinning when angry. And to deal with sin quickly if it does accompany our anger. Anger is not sinful in itself, just like everything. Anger is not sinful in itself, just like many things. There is such a thing as righteous anger. But the reality is you and I are not good at at exhibiting righteous anger. When someone does harm to us in that brief moment, we might have righteous anger. And instead of addressing it, we let it fester and it becomes vengeful anger and it becomes bitter anger. And then verse 27 takes place, and we give the devil an opportunity to have his way with us. When my kids do something wrong, it it, it angers me. I don't flip out on them or, you know, turn into some wild animal. Don't, Don't think that, but it angers me. As a parent angers you when your kids do something that they know is wrong. And so there have been moments where I have overdone my anger and I've had to apologize to my five-year-old, my nine-year-old, my 11-year-old, my, fo- my almost 15-year-old and say, I am sorry, I let my anger go too far. But yet anger itself is not, is not wrong. It, it's not bad. It's a, it, we, it is good to have a righteous anger when we see the sin of our world and we see the sin in our own lives. It is okay to get angry at yourself and then say, Lord, I am angry at myself because of my sin Please help me not to do that. Please forgive me for it. When you're angry at those who've sinned against you, go to them immediately and say, listen, here's what's happened. I I want to make this right. So that anger doesn't become bitterness or something else in you. Uh, The only one who has true righteous anger is God. Because when he looks at us before before our faith and trust in Christ, he sees a sinful fallen person. And if you are here tonight and you are sinful and fallen and never trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, then one day you will endure the righteous anger of God as he sends you to hell forever because you never put your faith and trust in Christ. It is important to deal with anger appropriately because if we do not do so, as verse 27 says, Satan will have an opportunity to lead us into further sin. Romans 12, 19 through 21, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. And who's better at at revenge than God? Any plan you come up with is not as good as God's revenge, so leave it to Him. If someone makes you angry, forgive them. Seek forgiveness if you need to. Move on from it and let God take care of the rest. Verse 20, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. And in doing so, you will heat burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Number three, do not steal. Verse 28. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that we will have something to share with one who has need. And here in verse 28, I don't think the idea is that the Christians are stealing stuff from others. Rather, they're being lazy. They're not using their lives in such a way that honors the Lord physically. So here's what we must do in in not sealing. We must labor, first of all. God has put us here to work. To work, to provide for ourselves, to provide for those under our authority, under our care, and to provide for others. So we must first, we must labor, as he says here in verse 28. But rather, he must labor. And then we are to do what is good. Work is good. It may not always feel good. It, it may not always seem like it's good, but it is good for you to work. It is good for us to, for you to provide. God has provided those things for you to take care of yourself and to use it for His glory. And then third, we see there in verse 29, we going to share with those in need. We got to share with those in need. So not only are we to build up resources that we can use to take care of our husbands and wives and children and and those family close to us, we are to, we are to store up those treasures uh, here on earth so we can use them for those who need help. Now we are not to hoard them. We are not to leave them behind. We are not to just store them up so we can say how great we are, but rather we are to use those resources the best way we can to provide for those in our care and to share with those in need. And then, of course, ultimately we store up treasures in heaven by doing that because it honors the Lord. Acts twenty thirty five And everything I showed you, that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, again, I'm not saying you have to go home and sell all your stuff and give it to the poor. That's not what I'm saying. But we as Christians should make sure that what we have and what God has given to us is being used for his glory. First for your family and then for those in need. And, and, and wherever you work, remember, it's a gift from the Lord. You might think it's a bad gift. That's OK. But it's a gift from the Lord. And so use it for however long he has you there to provide for your family, to make Christ known, to bring glory to God. So number three, do not steal. Number four, use your words to edify. Use your words to edify. Verse 29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. The word unwholesome here means rotten. Do not speak rotten words. Do not tell jokes that are inappropriate. Do not gossip. Do not slander. Do not speak behind someone's back. If you have a problem, if you have a concern, then go to the person. Speak to them one-on-one because you care more about restoring your relationship with them than destroying it behind their back. Use your words to edify. Anything that injures others or causes dissension in the body is unwholesome. Christians should use words to build up people rather than to tear them down. Again, what does Paul say here? But only such a word as is good for edification, excuse me, according to the need of the moment. So there needs to be a need there. Why? So they'll give grace to those who hear. Your edifying words should be uplifting. They might be hard to hear, but they should edify and build each one of us up that we might be more like Christ. Number five, verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We can grieve or bring sorrow or pain to the Holy Spirit Spirit by our speech, by our actions, by our life. It is inappropriate for us to do so because it is in the Holy Spirit that we are sealed for the day of redemption. So how dare we grieve the Holy Spirit? When you sin, you grieve the Holy Spirit. And so as Christians, we don't let that sin linger. We don't like grieving the Holy Spirit. We realize it, we turn from it, we confess it, we repent of it, and we walk differently. And we speak and act differently. The reality is this, grieving the Holy Spirit amounts to rejecting a priceless gift from God. As though we don't even enjoy the gift that God has given us in the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians five, nineteen through twenty two says this Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, in him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. And this Holy Spirit is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. How dare we grieve the Holy Spirit, the third person of God, Now, listen, it's going to happen. You're going to do it tonight, maybe. You're going to leave here, encouraged in your faith, hopefully convicted by the word of God, transformed by the Holy Spirit, and something's going to be said to you. Something's going to be done. And instead of catching it and and taking care of it before the Lord, you're going to grieve the Holy Spirit by sinning. It's going to happen either tonight or sometime soon. But what happens then? What do you do? Do you continue in bitterness? Do you continue in anger? Or do you take it before the Lord and his throne right there and say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for grieving you. Help me not to do it. Help me not to do it. You have everything you need not to do it. You have the power of the Holy Spirit in you not to grieve the Holy Spirit and God himself. Number six, do not let bitterness have a place in your heart. Verse 31. In my opinion, verse 31 is a progression of things. Let all bitterness, that's the one we start with. So do not let bitterness have a place in your heart. Because when you let bitterness have a place in your heart, Satan takes advantage of it and it progresses. And we see, and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. You see a progression of things getting worse. Bitterness starts here, in the heart. But If you let it continue, it starts to show up on your face. It starts to show up in your words. And then it starts to show up in your, in your actions. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away along with all Malice. Malice is a physical action, something you do to somebody else and it all started with bitterness because you weren't brave enough, you weren't courage, you weren't courageous enough and the power of the Holy Spirit to take care of it when you knew it was bitterness. Please don't let bitterness grow in your heart. It will fracture your life, it will fracture your relationship with Christ. You'll never lose your relationship with Christ. Satan will use it to draw you away and then he will use you in the church to bring division Division does not come from outside the church. It comes from in the church. Because we as believers are not bold enough, courageous enough, and strong enough to meet it when it co- tries to come through the door. Because that's hard. It's hard to confront other believers, but we have to in a way that brings restoration, in a way that shows love, in a way that honors the Lord. Finally, number seven forgive one another just as Christ has forgiven you. Probably the most important one of all, because that's where it starts with. It starts with forgiveness we have to give it and we have to seek after it verse 32 be kind to one another tender hearted forgiving one another just as god in christ also has forgiven you we are kind when we say or do what is suitable or fitting to a need with a sweet and generous disposition no one wants fake kindness no one wants fake sweet words we want genuine kindness We want genuine sweetness, and that comes from the Holy Spirit, which is in you. We are tenderhearted or compassionate when we feel affection for someone else. Don't just tell people you're praying for them, pray for them. I I was guilty of that for a long time until God convicted me. As a pastor, you say it all the time, and you try your best to do it all the time, but by the time you have a chance to pray, you forget. And I've confessed that to the Lord, and so now when I say I'm praying, I, I usually pray right then with that person, So that I have no chance of forgetting. And who cares if people around you walk and look awkward like, what are they doing? It don't matter. You're doing it for the Lord and for them. To lift them up and encourage them in their time of need. So have compassion. Be tenderhearted. It all comes from the Holy Spirit. And we are forgiving when we let offenses and grievances go freely and graciously. Because remember, before you were saved, you stood before a holy judge guilty in your sins. There is no defense attorney. There was no evidence that could get you off. You were guilty in your sins. And in case you don't believe me, let's look at the Ten Commandments. Anybody broke one? You've at least broke one. If you've broken one, you're guilty of them all. You stand before God guilty. And in that moment, he could have poured out his wrath upon you, but instead he saved you through Christ. And when you put your faith and trust in Christ, Christ stood in your place. And he took your punishment, he took your pain, he took your death on the cross, he took your grave, and he destroyed them all so you could have salvation through him. And so if Christ can do that for you, then surely you can forgive others. And you can let grievances go. And you can give forgiveness. But more importantly, you can seek it for yourself because that's the hardest thing. I believe of the two, both are hard, but it's hard to seek forgiveness because you have to go to that person and say, you know what, I've been wrong. I've been wrong. And so I humbly ask for your forgiveness because I want us to be right again for the glory of the Lord. One final verse as we conclude to kind of wrap up. Are we living a new life in Christ? Ephesians chapter two, verses eight through 10. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one may boast. This grace, this mercy, this love, this salvation has been given to you as a work of God, and you have nothing to boast about because you've done none of it. And here's why. For we are His workmanship. That word workmanship means masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. Masterpiece. And right now, whatever you're going through, whatever God's walking with you through, you are being shaped and made more like Christ to be a better reflection of Christ, to be the masterpiece that he has designed for you to be. Why? Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. God has had this all planned out. Why? For his glory. And that's what he wants, that's what he wants from each one of us. And the only way to do it is with the new life that comes in Christ. And so if you're here tonight, you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then please, tonight, don't leave without talking with someone about how you can do that tonight. God wants to do it, He, he will empower you as He draws you to Himself to repent of your sins, confess Christ as Lord of your life and believe that that God has raised Christ from the dead and you will be saved this very night. And then you can put on the new life that Christ has in you by the Holy Spirit to walk in that newness with him. And brother and sister in Christ, I hope you've been encouraged and challenged to throw away the old self. Dig a hole deep and bury it deep, put it through through the shredder, whatever you need to do, get away from it and never turn back to it and rather walk in the new life of Christ, completely, fully committed, sold out to Christ, so that you may bring him all the glory and you may magnify the name of Christ in a world that desperately needs both. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege of being able to proclaim it and teach it, Lord. I pray, Lord God, that it was clear. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you anointed the words that we've heard tonight. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would now take the truth that we've learned and you would plant it deep into our hearts that we might be changed and transformed and made more like you, Lord Jesus. Father, again, if there's anybody here tonight who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, please don't let them leave. Please be be pricking their hearts, be drawing them to yourself right now, and, and let them seek out someone to talk to, someone who can answer their questions and help them understand what salvation is if I have not made it clear enough, Lord. And secondly, Father, help us as believers, those who've made the decision to trust in Christ, help us, Lord Jesus, this very day to commit to the new life we have in Christ, to put away completely the old and to walk in the new, that you might be glorified and Christ might be magnified. Father, take us from this place and use us for however long you give us on this earth for your glory. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ.